Hey there, I'm Mike. Some of you know me from the Twisted Cape. Some of you know me because NBA playoffs, that ass, it's a bubble. But regardless of how you know me, you know I love comics, and that's what we talk about on this podcast. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Mike's Big Stack. Oh, hell yeah, my thickies. Welcome to the show, everyone. Recording this week at Thickness Central. Reminder to make sure you follow us on Twitch, where we have lots of stuff like dinner dates, where I play Marvel's Avengers. Right now, we're working through Injustice 2, and then who knows? The link to the Twitch channel is in our show notes. Lots of episodes of Mike's Thick Stack should be dropping in concurrent days, so make sure you subscribe to the show if you haven't already. We're skipping the city shout-outs like we have been for the last few episodes. This episode, however, will be a bit different because there is so much here. I'm going to shorten up a lot. It's going to be a blisteringly fast episode, but that's necessary because of all the books we have to get to. This is the episode from when there was a COVID scare in my direct circle, so I couldn't get to the store for a couple of weeks. As always, you start by rating the thickness of my stack. So we're going to blast off and check out Mike's Thickometer. Oh, yeah, Mike's Thickometer. So thick I call it Thicky Waters. This week clocks in at the thickest, the pinnacle. 10 out of 10 on Mike's Thickometer. God damn, that's a lot of bucks. We have a lot of shit to get to. So in case you're curious, the stack this week has a decided Marvel advantage. This week, however, we will begin with the DC books. We're going to start with Action Comics number 1028. I give this a 3.5 out of 5. This issue wraps up the end of Brian Michael Bendis' run on Action Comics. A lot happens and quickly. The start of the Jimmy Olsen ownership era... Connor gets some answers and a home on the Kent farm. John spends some quality time with his parents before heading back to his place in the future. And Clark begins his new life at the planet as Clark and Superman. This was not J.R. Jr.'s best work, but the moments that really hit, really hit. It's a sappy ending, but I enjoyed it because it's been the stronger of the two Superman books. And it has a sense of finality, not only to the storyline, but to character arcs. Heck of a standoff. Next, we have Batman 105. I gave this a three and a half out of five. This story got interesting just as it wrapped up. Bao has a couple of points where he can kill Harley, but she uses her psychiatrist background to get through to him before he runs off. The core of the story, however, is about Batman and Ghostmaker. It starts with a flashback. They square up once more, but Ghostmaker agrees to go back to the old agreement and says he'll leave. Bruce stops him and asks him to stick around and help him clean up the city, but no killing. It seems as if Bruce got to reclaim a part of his past in the story, which is kind of nice. I just wish it hadn't been such a slog to get here. I like much of the art in this story, uh, in this as well. Way to wrap up a story. Good job. Next, we have Batman Annual number 5. I gave this a 2 out of 5. This is the origin story of Clown Killer. He goes to Dr. Tompkins for help from an injury and flashes back to when his parents were killed by the Joker. He recounts to Dr. Tompkins about how Batman promised to do something about it and how he felt when it didn't measure up to what he wanted. Just a lack of vision and justice. Then there's a quick montage of how he became Clown Killer. She gets through to him and convinces him to heal and maybe come back to get actual help. After Bow reveals his identity and leaves, Batman thanks her for getting through to him and leaves as well. First off, I'm not a huge fan of the art style in this book. I think it's cool at a couple points, but it doesn't really fit the story well to me. 
Also, I wasn't a huge fan of the story because I really didn't like the character. It's like someone took all the worst characteristics from Damien's character and made it a person. Which some of you would probably argue that is is Damien, but I disagree. On to Batman Superman 15. I gave this a 3 out of 5. This story focuses on saving Solomon Grundy. Bruce calls Clark because Grundy is radioactive and will explode. Ivy recommends taking him back to the swamp where he was created. Batman and Superman do that, but not before they're ambushed by a team of bounty hunters led by Deadline. They get Grundy back to the swamp just in time, and Swamp Thing shows up to help speed the process along. When they finish up, Bruce confesses that it takes a lot out of him being Batman, and Clark, in order to lighten mood, hits Bruce with a snowball so that he officially has had his first snowball fight. I like that this book shows the brotherhood and camaraderie between these two and how they really affect each other. I like the art in this. It didn't blow me away, but it was solid. Now, Dark Knight's Death Metal, The Secret Origin, number one. I gave this a three and a half out of five. We get a Superboy Prime story in this issue. This version got taken away in a crisis from his world, and it was destroyed. Near the Death Metal finale, he's not really trusted by any of the heroes or villains, but when the battle begins, he flies off to do battle with the Darkest Knight or the Batman who laughs. He makes a sacrifice and somehow returns to his world only to discover that he's been reading this exact comic. He does get powers at the end of the book while rescuing a kid running into the street from an oncoming car. Cool story. I liked the finality, also the meta nature, and I liked the art in it. It was decent. I would recommend picking this up if you're interested. Now we have Dark Knight's Death Metal, number six. I gave this a three out of five. The penultimate issue of Death Metal is here. The heroes and villains of Earth go to battle against the Darkest Knight or, or the Batman Who Laughs forces. Diana is escorted by an army of Lobos through the Forge of Worlds while the Darkest Knight or Batman Who Laughs, depending on what you prefer, does battle with Perpetua. He kills her as Diana confronts Darkseid and Baby Mobius in the Forge of Worlds. As his forces move on the heroes, Diana has remade herself in the Forge into a force powerful enough to fight him with the stories that bind everyone together. As always, the story looks great. That said, I think this issue was a bit slower. It's all set up for what should be the end of the series. We'll see what that last issue has in store here. Next up, we have Dark Knight's Death Metal, Last 52, War of the Multiverses, number one. Gave this a 3 out of 5. Here's the last anthology-style collection for the Death Metal series. It largely focuses on the battles that take place in and around the Death Metal finale. There are nine stories in total with Wonder Woman's story really bookending the comic. There's so much to address here, I'll just tell you about my favorites. The Constantine story is amazingly fun and funny, and the art style perfectly complements it. The Penguin story is unexpected and quite violent. Finally, I think the Wonder Woman story is good because it sets up what should be an explosive finale for Death Metal. The art is all over in this book, but it's largely solid. Moving on to Detective Comics number 1033, I gave this a 3.5 out of 5. A lot happens in this book, so let's get to it. Damien and Batman close in on Hush and free the Bat family. Bruce and Tommy go at it, and Bruce absolutely whoops Tommy's ass. Bruce tries to convince Damien to become Robin again, which he refuses and goes on his way. Then we see Nakano win the mayor's race, followed by Bruce leaving Wayne Manor. I love the art style of this issue, especially with all the action in this issue. I can't wait to see how the Gotham scene evolves after Future State. Now we have a whole bunch of Endless Winter stuff, so let's jump right in with 
Endless Winter, Aquaman number 66. So it gives it a two and a half out of five. As these have done previously, it starts with the flashback of the Frost King and then goes into the current struggle. Arthur and Mira split up briefly. Arthur to go to a realm of fire trolls to help in the fight against Frost King and Mira to watch their daughter. Arthur gets into trouble and it turns out Mira follows him and rescues him. The fire trolls bow to her and her will and follow them into battle. Meanwhile, the Frost King is looking for someone, likely his family. I think this book looks great. I know the beginning and end have different artists, but it looks fantastic all the way through. At times, I was unimpressed with the story. Next, we have Endless Winter, Justice League number 58. I gave this a 3 out of 5. The flashback shows what the heroes of old did to the Frost King and what he's willing to do to get his family back. It's narrated largely by Jon Stewart, who rescues a man named Michael for his family from the crippling cold. Frost King goes to the Hall of Justice, and John takes him on by himself, and then the Justice League shows up, and they take him down, only to discover it's just an avatar. It was an interesting story, basically with John on his own until the end. I liked the art, the story was okay, but nothing crushed in this issue. Next we have Endless Winter, Teen Titans Special Number 1, I gave this a 2.5 out of 5. We find out just how Frost King's family gets taken from him at the start of the issue, and how he reacts here, both tragic and understandable, respectively. The Teen Titans have opened up Titan's Tower to help take care of the community. The team goes to Brooklyn and rescues a woman named Summer Zahid who has ice powers. Vic, Corey, and Barry all show up, and Barry asks Donna to help him get passage to Themyscira so he can talk to Hippolyta, which she does, as the Amazons are holding off Frost King's forces. The little moments help this story, the Wallace-Barry interaction, Kid Flash and Red Arrow, Donna mentoring the team. It wasn't directly impactful for the event until the end. I really liked the art in this book, but the story was just okay. I'm a little worried about the overall event here because it's mostly done at this point. Next we have Endless Winter, Justice League Dark, number 29. I gave this a 3.5 out of 5. In the flashback, we find out that the Viking Prince, John Haraldson, died while taking down the Frost King for Hippolyta. Hippolyta explains this to Barry and Diana, and they realize they need Swamp Thing, who is in New Mira. They ask him to come back, but he can't unless they get some help. So Hippolyta summons the spirit of the Viking Prince, who becomes an avatar of Swamp Thing as the Green's new champion. I love the art in this issue. There's so much attention to detail, and it's incredibly crisp. I also like the story more than the last two issues. Next we have Endless Winter Black Adam Special number 1. I gave this a 3 out of 5. In the flashback, we get the direct aftermath of the Viking Prince's sacrifice and the Frost King's defeat, as well as Black Adam's arrogance. And then now, Multiplex is doing recon at multiple places and finds Frost King's family and the Kryptonian Crystals. Black Adam and Multiplex's crew crash the party, and so does Frost King. Black Adam fights him to a standstill until Stag interferes, inadvertently making Frost King stronger. As it looks bleak for Black Adam, the Justice League shows up right at the end of the book. On the art side, there are some massive moments in this issue. All the energy seems to get spent here, and it's worth it. It's a more action-heavy issue, and that's better overall. Next we have Endless Winter, Justice League, number two. I gave this three out of five. It's the finale. The Justice League rescues Black Adam from a dire fate, and Frost King retreats to the Arctic. Thanks to the tracer from Batman, they're able to track him. The League, Hippolyta, Black Adam, and eventually the Champion of the Green all show up to engage the Frost King in battle. Hippolyta and Batman find Edwald, a.k.a. the Frost King's body, and Black Adam attempts to destroy him. 
Superman isn't having that shit, so he he grabs him and takes him away. Arthur and the Fire Trolls arrive just in time to bail out Flash. As Diana gets through to Edwald, Frost King's horde breaks apart and the world goes back to normal. He ends up being cryogenically frozen with his family. It ends with a flashback to the 10th century when Hippolyta, Swamp Thing, and Shazam sealed Black Adam away. It was a satisfying end to the series, but it didn't knock my socks off. I like the kinetic art style, but it didn't have as much detail as moments in the last issue. Overall, it's a solid issue outside of the main struggle of death metal. Next up we have Nightwing number 77. I gave this a 3 out of 5. The last Nightwing in regular continuity before the new creative team takes over. Nightwing and Batman split up to take two cases on at the same time. Dick's case ends up being more about taking down corporate greed and restoring justice to employees rather than punching criminals. He gets Bruce to help by getting all of the displaced Gothamites living under the bridge caused by the company Dexaturn to live in a building that he recently purchased. Bruce also buys Dexaturn and gives the people their jobs back. This issue ends with the Bat family party at, at the new house toasting to Alfred. The art and story is great and clean all the way through. It's a fun read, but it also shows why Nightwing is such a different hero than Batman, which is why I love it. Next up, we have Rorschach, number three. I gave this a two and a half out of five. This issue focuses on the mystery of exactly who Lara was. We see that her dad has been training her with a gun for a very long time, and she's a skilled marksman. Markswoman, I suppose, is probably the better way. Shooter. Shooter. We're going with the word shooter. He's dealing with the fear of the squid monster attack and gets into conspiracy theories and extremist groups quickly and brings her along for the ride. He explains that he even killed her mom because of squid mind control. This group teaches Laura to fight, build bombs, and more. Her dad fears his mind has been taken by squids and gets her to kill him. All this in a book gets the detective that we've been following to come to terms with the fact that he stumbled on a pattern of sorts, specifically around the assassination attempt. This book looks amazing, but I'm starting to get a little antsy about where the story's going. I'm hoping that as it goes on we get more answers about the direction but it's a long slow drive next up we have superman number 28 i gave this a two out of five this issue wraps up the sinmar part of bendis's run there's finally some communication but it leads right back to where it started superman battling sinmar it's partially narrated by lois's book as clark is slugging it out with sinmar he finally gets the upper hand thanks to armor given to him by the people of sinmar and the united planets brigade shows up just in time to clear things up and Clark goes home to t spend time with his wife. It is a very pretty book. I love Yvonne Reese's style on this book. This issue wraps up a lackluster arc in better fashion. I'm happy it's over, honestly. Finally, here we have Wonder Woman number 769. I gave this a 2 out of 5. This issue mostly wraps up the Liar Liar story going on tied in with Max Lord. Emma comes to the hospital to kill Max Lord, and Diana uses the lasso to see what Emma sees. There's a battle that likely isn't really a battle as emma goes to end max she discovers that he's no longer there diana finally gets through to her and takes her to the amazon embassy to get her the help she needs except that as the issue ends it seems as if max is pulling her strings after all another very pretty book but the story left me feeling sort of meh at least everything here is mostly wrapped up before a future state starts okay here we take a break when we come back, we're going to slam these Marvel titles. We're going to slam them. Stick around. Hey, everybody. Sam here from the Twisted Cape. If you haven't already done so, be sure to check out the Twisted Cape's Tee Public page, which we have 
live right now for you to purchase any and all of your clothing needs with Twisted Cape logos on them. We got shirts, socks, maybe. Wow. We got other shirts with hoods on them and they have longer sleeves. So warm. We got everything you could ever want with Twisted Cape logos on them. So, again, please be sure to check out the Twisted Capes T Public page. Check out the link in the description and be sure to pick up your favorite stuff right now. Thanks, everybody. And now, back to Mike's Thick Stack. All right, we're back. And we're going to dive right into these Marvel books. Starting with Amazing Spider-Man number 54.LR, I gave this a three and a half out of five. This issue moves around and it feels like it should be a direct main issue, something that happens often. When it opens, there's a flashback to a poignant Harry and MJ moment from his Green Goblin days. Norman convinces MJ to go along with his plan while the Order of the Web go after a Moreland-powered Sin Eater. He gets a glimpse of the future and turns the shotgun on himself. This releases all of his powers and sins from those that he's cleansed. And Kindred descends on the Order of the Web, taking them. The issue ends with Norman revealing an alliance with Wilson Fisk as they try to take Kindred. This seems like a lot of setup and movement of pieces for the end of this all. I feel like this was strong, it looked great, and had some critical moments for the story. Norman, back up to his old tricks, confused me, especially since he was cleansed of his sins before. That's weird. I'm going to move on to Amazing Spider-Man number 55. I give this a 4 out of 5. This is the final chapter in the story arc. This is largely a huge showdown. Pete and Harry have a lot to hash out and they get after it. Norman shows up and enacts his plan as well. He stops Kindred from killing MJ, but throws a pumpkin bomb that blasts MJ as well. Fisk enters his part of the plan, and the issue ends as Peter cradles MJ in his arms. What a cliffhanger. It has a lot of emotion and will likely have some very real consequences. I'm a little surprised he did this to MJ, but it's hinted at in the 54.LR. Not sure she's dead just yet, but we'll see. I love having Patrick Leeson back on the book because it looks amazing. No pun intended. Or intended! I just love when, what he does with Kindred as well as Spidey. Next up, we have Avengers number 40. I gave this a 4 out of 5. In this issue, the Phoenix has taken a group to an isolated dimension and has basically enacted Phoenix Madness. A tournament to find the strongest possible host for the phoenix <laughs> we get a piece of the puzzle before the tourney kicks off but much of this battle between captain america and dr doom captain america wins the fight because doom basically forfeits i like the brutal nature of this issue especially because it's a lot of phoenix imbued savagery as good as the story is the art by javier garon is an absolute delight especially the phoenix costumes of cap and doom badass issue overall i hope this tournament stays as vicious next up we have captain america number 26 i gave this a three and a half out of five this is a totally action-packed issue this is the culmination of all the slower story-driven issues before it lots of moving parts cap and sharon battling red skull's forces falcon rescuing peggy carter after her fall during the last issue bucky and falcon going after the two escaped aircraft and the return of Red Hulk. You get a lot out of this issue, but bringing Red Hulk into this fold gives a huge boost to the Daughters of Liberty's power set. 
I really enjoy Leonard Kirk's art here as well. I love his Falcon design alongside all the battle scenes in here. Just kick-ass issue. Next, we have Excalibur number 16. I gave this a 3 out of 5. Excalibur starts the issue by finding out that Betsy can't be resurrected because they aren't really sure she's dead. Rogue is not happy about this at all, and the team ends up back in Avalon. They go out and summon Betsy and get a whole core of Betsy's, but not theirs. They tell the team that she'll be back soon. The issue ends with Betsy waking up in bed with Warning Worthington, which is surprising to her for sure, and me as well. I think this is an interesting story, but it doesn't do a ton to excite me for its post-Swords tourney. We'll see how it develops. Generally, though, I like the art, but there are a few nitpicky things here that I didn't love. Next, we have Fantastic Four, number 27. I gave this a 4 out of 5. The aliens at the end of the last issue start off looking to their god, Franklin, to be their savior, but he has no powers anymore. Reed gives him the iron suit that Tony gave him in Empire. The Griever attacks and Franklin with his new suit meets her in battle. They end up in 4 Yancey Street. She discovers that the suit is being remote piloted just before Reed collapses the building. Griever breaks out just as the issue ends. There's a lot to love by this team of artists that accentuate the writing going on here. I'd recommend this one. Next up we have Mortal Hulk number 41. I gave this a 3.5 out of 5. While this book opens with Dr. McGowan and closes with Rick Jones, this issue highlights the relationship between Hulk and the Thing, but not exactly. Ben is pissed about their last encounter, but he doesn't realize that he's basically battling a depowered toddler, essentially, until Joe Fixit emerges to explain what's going on, and Ben offers to help and lets him go. I love the way this book looks, and I say it all the time. This issue, however, plants seeds for a team-up later on. I enjoyed the book, but this issue was more world building and setup than anything else. Next, we have Iron Man number four. I gave this a three and a half out of five. Well, it only took four issues for Tony and Patsy to sleep together, but it kind of makes sense. Also, Korvac is still holding Rhodey, as well as powering himself up to go after the Tattoo, the ship of Galactus. He has a connection to Patsy and takes over her body as Tony is looking to put together an underground team. He adds Halcyon to his ranks as things move forward. This is another absolutely beautiful book, and I love the combo of art and writing in this book, especially as it centers around mental health. I like it a lot, but I have a feeling that in the next issue, it'll be stronger than this one. Next up, we have King in Black, Iron Man and Doctor Doom number one. I give this a four out of five. This is probably one of the most fun tie-in stories I've read in a while. Doctor Doom and Iron Man team up to take down a venomized Santa Claus. Honestly, it's full of great bad jokes and weird crazy story beats around Santa's existence. It's a break from Tony's heavy existential crises, sprinkled with Doom being an over-the-top dick, which makes it more fun to me. It's not the normal Iron Man artist, which is fine because you need something different to pull this off, and they did. Next up we have King in Black, Immortal Hulk number one. I give this a four out of five. The brilliance of this issue is that it's completely wordless. I may have been using a few panels from this on a lot of our social media. No promises. It's Toddler Hulk wandering around at Christmas when Null's forces invade. Between Hulk's strength and Joe's cunning, they repel those forces, and Hulk gets to play in a toy store at the end. Different artist, but again, still looks great. There are definitely some dark moments in here, which is why this was so good, balanced out with that Christmas spirit. 
Next up, we have King of Black, Symbiote Spider-Man number two. I gave this a two out of five. If you've not been reading these, know that the series expands on Spidey's time with the symbiote. There's a lot of time with older characters from that time period, including Ned, Robbie Robertson, and Black Knight. Spidey chases Ned, who is possessed by a shadow creature, and is clearly sinister, while Merlin tells Black Knight about Null. Black Knight gets stabbed and is saved by Rocket Raccoon and Kang, while Spidey keeps Ned from being killed by his possessor. I didn't love this as a tie-in. It's better as its own thing, but the King of Black stuff feels shoehorned in. Next up, we have King of Black Spider-Woman number 7. I give this 4 out of 5. This issue only helps pull Jess lower and lower as she, she quests for a cure. She takes more serum to power her up to help drive back Null's forces, but definitely at a cost. It makes her even more feral and unhinged. She snaps on her friends and attacks them too. They eventually subdue her, and then she hits an absolute low by going after Carol's inability to have children. Carol, hurt by one of her best friends, leaves her locked up so they can deal with Null's forces. Octavia shows up with more serum at the end of the issue, showing they have more to do. Good issue, and here the tie-in helps the ongoing rather than the miniseries. That's appreciated, as is the incredibly detailed art in this book. I really liked it overall. King of Black Venom number 31 is next. I give this a 4.5 out of 5. This issue takes place between King of Black 1 and 2, and it's done in an incredible way. I love the execution of this book. There's a little bit of backup, but the majority of this book is what happens when Null drops Eddie off of the building and his journey to the bottom. It's visually explosive, and the storytelling is amazing. Eddie's journey all the way down is narrated, and there are moments that involve Dylan and Eddie's pure desire to keep him safe. It's awesome and ends looking like it's going to hurt. Next up, we have King of Black number two, which I also gave a four and a half out of five. And yeah, it did hurt. Like a lot. Eddie is in a bad way when Spidey gets to him. Earth's heroes have become Null's army, and Eddie and Pete get a massive bailout from Johnny Storm, who sacrifices himself so they can get free. Pete gets Dylan and takes him to the mines tending to his dad, and they are also trying to develop a plan at the same time. Tony gets a symbiote to bring back to bond with Eddie to save his life, but it won't bond. Dylan kills it with his mind, but the trauma is too much, and Eddie's body gives out. Venom is dead. What a crazy-ass event with a wild storyline and a more incredible art. I was leery going in, but I really dig it so far. Next up, we have New Mutants number 14. I gave this a 3.5 out of 5. Magic and her team have petitioned the Quiet Council to give them the ability to give some of the younger mutants some more constructive time teaching them about their powers and how to combine those powers with others. The New Mutants show how power synergy looks, and the young ones are in awe. After, a small group sneaks off to do a debrief of sorts to a nefarious presence at the end of the issue. I think it might be the Shadow King, I'm not positive. I love the style of this book and the cool visuals. I'm curious about how they want to move the book forward after the crossover, and this only provided minimal clues. Next up, we have Savage Avengers number 16. I gave this a 3.5 out of 5. The Magic-Led Squad fights Satarang to a standstill to possess the Eye of Agamotto. They use their powers and skills to stop Satarang, and instead of killing him, Magic escorts him to Limbo, where he can sleep peacefully. He agrees to willingly give up the Eye, which the team takes to Doctor Strange, but not before leaving the Asgardian dragon stranded in Limbo. Strange offers the Eye to Conan, which he declines, and finds his way to a bar with the Juggernaut Bitch! 
This book continues to be an incredibly fun read as well as a well-drawn book. It's one of my favorites when it releases and is worth the price of admission. Next up, we have Shang-Chi number four. I gave it a three out of five. Shang-Chi quests to find his uncle's resting place to get some answers. Meanwhile, Sister Hammer is putting in an effort to strengthen her plan. Shang-Chi, Brother Saber, the name that I forgot last time we talked about Shang-Chi, and Sister Dagger fight a guardian outside of the grave. Shang-Chi goes forward and learns from his uncle that he was murdered by his brother, Shang-Chi's father, for immortality, which is a fucked up reason to murder your brother, but, I mean, you do you, I guess. Just before Shang-Chi returns, the Guardian shows Takashi a vision of the future, which makes him wary of Shang-Chi. I love how this book looks, but the story here felt a little lackluster for me. Only one issue left, so hopefully it all comes together. Next up, we have Wolverine number eight. I give it a two and a half out of five. There are two issues in this oversized issue. The first is a prologue where Logan and Jeff Bannister trade war stories, almost like a therapy session, until Bannister reveals the existence of the X-Desk to Logan. In the second story, Wolverine, Dakin, and Honey Badger are interrupted from hunting and battling Omega Red to allow Logan to go after Maverick, who is stirring up trouble. Logan interrogates a merc, and just before he's murdered by a mysterious assassin, Logan still needs answers, so he gears up his patch in Madripoor. I'm not in love with this book right now. It had more juice to me when there were vampires involved, I guess. It looks great, which I treasure. Hopefully it turns around soon. Next up, we have Wolverine, Black, White, and Blood number two. I gave this a three out of five. There are three stories in this issue. A battle with Sabretooth that comes from a rescue mission, a showdown with Arcade, and finally, the best story, to me anyway, with Logan and Kate Pride facing off against Sanzu, uh, Beastie Brute, and Soul Scream. It looks bad for the heroes at first, but then Kate takes over, bailing them out. I love the third story, but the other two fell a little flat for me personally. I love the art in all three, but the first one lacked the definition of the other two, but that's likely because it takes place in the snow. Next comic here is X-Force number 15. I gave this a 3 out of 5. The team has its struggles, and that's on full display in this issue. First, Gene is interrogating Colossus to see if he knows anything about what the Russians are up to. Then, Beast is trying to use Omega Red against Dracula, who is controlling him at least a little bit. They know he's traded something to Dracula for the Carbonadium Synthesizer. Kayla and Colossus are not happy with Beast's treatment of them, and Kayla takes some of the water from Beast's body, which is a badass moment, honestly. Then, to wrap, Krakoa is invaded by a force of zombies, it looks like. Fun issue, great art, but the story is kind of scattershot. There's no real focus for this issue. It's trying to tie a bunch of dangling threads together, and that gets a little confusing. Alright, finally here, on this episode, we get to X-Men number 16. I gave it a 4 out of 5. This issue is central to the X-Line of books without telling you so. From the failed reunification of Krakoa and Arako to the revelation that there are about 20 times as many mutants on Arako as there are on Krakoa, they need to fix a lot moving forward. Krakoa and Arako try to sit down to talk about it, but it doesn't go very well. They don't seem to want to reunite. Then Xavier and Magneto go to Iska the Unbeaten to discuss terms, which, after some thinly veiled threats, she goes to take to her leadership group, The Ring. Finally, Scott and Jean decline retaking their spots on the Quiet Council, choosing instead to reform the X-Men and hold elections for the roster. 
I really liked how this issue wrapped up some points from the X of Swords crossover, or Ten of Swords, whichever you prefer, and set the stage for the next wave. It looks great too. I really like this issue a lot. Okay, as we start to wrap up, if you want to be on the show, hit me up on Twitter at SpiderMike29. Looking ahead to next week, I'm really looking forward to reading from Marvel, Amazing Spider-Man number 56 and Thor number 11. On the DC side, Death Metal number 7 and Future State, like just all of Future State. Make sure you check out the stuff we have up on our YouTube, so subscribe to that, smash that subscribe button, turn on alerts for our content, it's going to be a great time especially our live show. We have merch on TeePublic. Check the link in show notes to get your hands on that gear. And make sure you subscribe to The Twisted Cape on your favorite podcast platform or just listen on thetwistedcape.com. We're at The Twisted Cape, no spaces on every social media platform. Facebook, which we really barely use anymore, The Grim, Twitter, and YouTube. Make sure you tune in to our weekly show on Thursday nights on either YouTube or on the twistedcape.com slash livestream and live in the comments. We go over those during it at the end of each show. But finally, feel free to shoot some feedback to the twistedcape at gmail.com about this show and make sure you use the subject line MTS. Thanks for tuning in. So until next time, lay down on the bed and do the crybaby. Stay safe, wear a mask, get that vaccine, stay twisted. Fix that.